0: I turn to Galatians chapter 5. I do mean it when I say I, I think this is it. I think this is the, the passage, the most significant sermon in this series for those of you who are believers. This is it this morning. Before we get to it, though, I thought I'd give you guys a, a quick update on our twins. I try to do that uh, every once in a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's a good picture. Uh, it's fun. Luke and Gracie are growing. They're putting on a ton of weight, which is neat to see. They're starting to smile for reasons other than passing gas, so that's, that's very fun. Uh, it's, it's neat. They're, they're playing with each other and with toys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I'll confess to you, becoming a father has been a, a really wonderful experience, but it's also been a very soul searching experience. Uh, there's nothing quite like, like holding these two newborns in your arms to make a, a new father uh, ask himself some really deep questions. Uh, to, to make me ask myself, um, am I going to be a good father to these two little kids? Do I have what it takes to emulate the life of Christ to them? Do I have what it takes to live up to the incredible responsibility that these two kids are? Those are good questions, and frankly, the jury's still out on on those questions. I I may have graduated from seminary, I may be your pastor, but I am still a sinner. I've looked at my life in depth over the last few weeks, had a lot of time holding babies at 2 a.m. to reflect on my life and to realize that I see this principle at work in my life, that that I, I know what I ought to do. As a follower of Christ, I know what I ought to do as a son of God and as a father. I know how I ought to behave, but so often I don't do what I know I should. I know I should be loving to Julie and to the kids. I know I should sacrifice my desires for them. I know I should live at peace. I know I should be joyful. I know I should be self-disciplined. I know all these things that I ought to do. I went to seminary for heaven's sake. I know what to do, but so often I don't do not do it. I, I think that that right there is the single biggest problem we face in life. For those of us who are believers, this is it. That This is the biggest problem we face. Whether you realize it or not, this is the biggest one. We know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. We know what we should do in life. We know. We are a a remarkably educated congregation. You, You may not know the Greek words behind the verses we're studying this morning, but you know what you should do. You know what God desires of your life. We know what God expects of us. We know what is right and proper and good and beneficial in life, and yet so often we don't do it. So often we look back at our day and we see all these times when we didn't do what was right, we didn't do what was good, we did the opposite instead. So often we look back at our lives and, and we know that we should be spending time daily with the Lord, we should be spending time in His Word, in prayer, and worship, and yet what happens? We oversleep in the morning, we watch TV at night and this doesn't happen. We know we should do it, but we don't. We know that we should be sharing the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. We know it's the most important gift we have, that it's their only hope, and yet we don't do it. Whether because of fear or because of busyness, the gospel gets crowded out. We don't step out in faith and share the gospel. We know that we should sacrificially serve others, that we should put their needs and desires above our own, that we should seek their good above our own, and yet so often we don't do it. So often our good intentions are trumped by our selfishness and laziness. We know that we should walk in purity, that we should be faithful to the Lord in every way, and yet so often, in the moment of temptation, we fall, we think of something we shouldn't. We look at something that we shouldn't. We know that we should be joyful, thankful, content people, that those should be the characteristics of our lives, and yet so often we look back at the day and we realize we've been stressed out people. We've been discouraged people. We've been envious and depressed people. The biggest ought to of them all was given to us last week. Look back at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul gives us the biggest ought to that we face in life. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's the biggest ought to of them all, love. Paul told us last week, don't give in to legalism, don't give in to license, instead dedicate your life to biblical love, to God-like love towards other people. That's not love like our world loves. When our world uses the word love, what they mean is I love you because you make me happy. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is about sacrificing what makes me happy, sacrificing what I desire for the good of others, for the good of the one loved. When I define love that way, I realize so often I fall short. Look what Paul says of biblical love, of of what God expects of us. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you define love that way, you look at it and you realize, I fall short of that all the time. I I know that passage. I've memorized that passage. I know that I should love people that way, and yet so often I fall short. It's the greatest problem we believers face in life. We know what we should do. We know what's right. We know what's proper. We know what's good, and yet so often in the course of our lives we fall short. We fail to do what we know is right. That's what we want to tackle in our passage this morning. Paul tells us why we fail. Why do we come up short? Why do we not do what we know is right, what we know is good and proper and beneficial? Well, because of another word Paul uses in verse 13, the flesh. The flesh, remember we defined that last week. What is the flesh? Well, uh, this word can refer to like literal flesh, your flesh and bones and blood and all that. Then it's, in that case, it's neither good nor bad. But many places in scripture, including in Galatians, the word is referring to our sinful, fallen human nature to what I am as a sinful human being, me in my fallen state. Uh, Quick review from what we talked about last week. Remember, God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and he created them innocent. They were neither predisposed towards good nor evil. They were free to choose either to obey God or disobey God. Unfortunately, they chose what? Disobedience. When they did, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, what happened? Well, human nature became corrupted with sin. Sin entered into human nature. Human nature became shot through with sin. And Adam and Eve passed that corruption on to all of their children. For that reason, we are not born innocent. We are not born free to choose good and evil. We are born sinners. We are born bent towards sin. Now, I'll confess to you, as a parent of newborns, that's hard to believe. I I look at my children, and they are beautiful, and they are precious. They're these little miracles, and they look incredible to me. And yet God tells me, as beautiful as they are, they are sinners. Their human nature is fallen. They are bent towards evil, not good. It's hard to believe, but I know they're going to prove it to me. I know that in the years to come, Julie and I will not have to teach Luke and Gracie how to be selfish. No, they're hardwired for that. They will know selfishness from day one. What we'll have to teach them is selflessness. We'll have to teach them how to resist what comes naturally to them because they are sinners. They are, by nature, evil. All of us are. That's what our flesh is. And, and notice that Paul, in this chapter, in, in, in Galatians chapter five, he's speaking to believers it's not just unbelievers who are by nature sinners, who who are of flesh. It's all of us. Now, the gospel promises us that one day we will die and we will stand before Jesus or Jesus will rapture us and will be with him. At that moment, our flesh will be eradicated. We will be completely transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We call that glorification. At that day, the sinful flesh will be gone. But that day is not today. In the meantime, believers and unbelievers alike are in the flesh. Our basic human nature is fallen. It is bent towards sin. For that reason, notice what happens when the flesh exerts itself, expresses itself in our lives. Look with me at verses 19 through 21. Paul says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are or are obvious, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. We'll pause there. Things like these, uh, that tells us, that clues us in that this list is not exhaustive, it's just representative. Paul's saying, here are some of the many expressions of the flesh. Notice all of them are sin. All of them are evil. Paul's point is, when you live in the way that comes naturally to you, when you live as a normal human being, the result is always sin, Now what's interesting to me, look at that list. You have some sins on there like strife and dissensions that we usually put in the category of legalism. The lifestyle of legalism where I create rules that I govern myself and judge you, who is in, who is out, who's right in God's eyes. Legalism leads to sin. But notice others of these sins, sexual immorality, drunkenness, they are characterized by what we call license, a lifestyle that throws out the rules and does whatever comes naturally to me. Point is, whether you choose legalism or license, the result is the same, sin. Because both of them are living out of the flesh. You are doing what comes naturally to you as a human being. You are living as a natural, sinful human being, and the result is always the same. Sin. The flesh always leads us unavoidably to sin. That's a point that Paul laments in a parallel passage, Romans chapter 7, Paul says in verses 18 and 19, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul tells us a few key things about the flesh here. Number one, the flesh is wholly evil. There's nothing good within us. Me as I am by nature. Blake Jennings, I have nothing good in me. I am wholly bent towards evil. There is not a single kernel of goodness within me. For that reason, Paul's helping us understand the flesh can't be improved. There's not some little bit of good that's part of Blake, that's, that's in Blake, that I just need to express, that I need to grow, that I need to enlarge. There's nothing good in the flesh. It can't be improved. And finally, notice that Paul says the flesh can't be beat. You cannot overcome the leadings of your flesh. If it's you against the flesh, the flesh will win every time. Because the flesh is you. You are of flesh. A seminary professor I had put it great. He said, the flesh is the traitor inside the gates. We desire to do good. We want to do what's right. And every time we try to do what's right, the flesh betrays us. When I'm relying upon myself, upon what I can do, I may have great intentions, just like Paul. I desperately want to do what's good, and every time I try to do it, the flesh betrays me. Maybe I do the right action, but guess what? The motives come out wrong. Turn to pride. Turn to arrogance. Every time I try to do right, the flesh betrays me. It always leads me unavoidably to sin. That's why we fail in this life, because we are made of flesh we are by nature sinners we are bent towards sin that can't be changed that can't be improved in this life we can't overcome it in our strength if you look back at galatians 5 paul tells us that's a serious problem because it has serious consequences look at the end of verse 21 envying drunkenness carousing and things like these of which i forewarn you just as i have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god The result of giving into the flesh, the result of the flesh expressing itself in the life of a believer is not inheriting, loss of inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, this is not referring to loss of salvation. Remember, once you're a child of God, you can never lose that. What this is referring to is, remember, two weeks ago, we studied the end of Galatians chapter 3, and Paul said that through faith, we have all become sons of God and Heirs of the covenant promises, heirs of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Those belong to us. But what Paul wants us to understand is not all heirs get to enjoy the inheritance. Only those heirs who obey God. If we disobey God, if we express sin in our lives, we forfeit the inheritance that belongs to us. Jesus says it more plainly in the book of Revelation. These are the words of Jesus. He says, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Part of the inheritance that belongs to you as a son of God is the authority to rule over the world in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. You will get the opportunity to rule alongside Jesus Christ over the earth, but that is only available to believers who do what? Keep my deeds until the end. Who persevere in good works, who persevere in obedience to God. Those who don't forfeit this opportunity. That's bad news for us because I am of flesh. My flesh constantly leads me away from this. My flesh never wants to keep Christ's deeds. My flesh is always leading me towards sin because I'm a sinner, because I'm bent towards sin. Paul wants us to understand how desperate our situation is. Even as believers, those who've been justified, who are sons of God, we are in desperate shape. We cannot overcome the tendencies of our flesh, the bent of our flesh towards sin. And as a result, when our flesh expresses itself, all we do is sin. We may know what to do. We may know what's right. We may know what's good. We may really want to do it, but we can't because we're of flesh. Our flesh betrays us and leads us unavoidably always to sin. It's really bad news. So what hope do we have? You you can't obey God. You you cannot obey God in your strength. So what hope do you have? Look back at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul wants us to understand in this passage, there is only one solution to our problem. There is only one way, only one hope that we have in life for obeying God, for doing what we know is right, what we know is beneficial, that one hope is the Holy Spirit. We can't do what we know is good. We can't obey God. We need help from outside of ourselves. And that help comes through the Holy Spirit. He is the solution to our problem. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and he empowers us and strengthens us so that we can obey. Paul goes further down the passage starting in verse 22. He helps us understand how the Holy Spirit is giving us victory. Look with me starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's, it's interesting the wording that Paul uses. Uh, it's singular fruit. Uh, fruit you you could translate it harvest. Uh, the idea Paul's using this word fruit because he wants us to understand um, in this in this victory that that we have over sin, it's victory through passivity. It's not victory that we work. Notice, I'm not the one producing love in me. I'm not the one producing joy. I'm not the one producing peace. Who is producing it? The Holy Spirit. All of these things are, are his fruit. They're his harvest in my life. As he works in my life, these are the results. And notice which one is first. It's really significant where Paul starts. Love. Love was the problem of verse 13. The way that we're called to live this life is by expressing God-like love to everyone we meet. We can't do it. That love is too great for us. Love is outside my range of options. I don't have the ability in and of myself to love you like I should, but I have good news. The Holy Spirit can love you like I should, and he can love you through me. The Holy Spirit can produce God-like love through me for the benefit of others. The Holy Spirit is stronger than my flesh. The Holy Spirit can overcome my flesh and produce the righteous fruit in my life that God desires. He, he is the solution to the problem. Remember, Galatians was written to a group of people who were struggling. They were believers um, who, who had been walking faithfully with the Lord. But then these false teachers came in their midst. And they told them, if you really want to grow in maturity, if you want to honor the Lord, if you want to obey the Lord, the way you do it is through the law. You keep a list of rules and regulations. Well, Paul has spent the whole book of Galatians telling us that rules and regulations won't do it. The law cannot solve your problem. If we would have ended the book at verse 15 where we left off last week, it'd be bad news because all we knew is what not to do. You can't obey, you can't grow through the law, but he doesn't end there. He moves on and he gives us finally the solution, the secret to life. Do you wanna know the secret to life? It's the Holy Spirit in you. You obey the Lord. You grow in your Christian walk through the Holy Spirit in you. Now, we want to notice a couple things, though. Paul tells us that uh, the Holy Spirit works in a particular way, another parallel passage. The Holy Spirit, as he works in our lives, he's not interested in just our actions. He's also interested in our motives. I think the list of the fruit is very interesting that that Paul gives us. It includes actions like love and kindness towards others, but also includes motives and attitudes, things like peace and joy. Uh, One of the great news uh, about how the Holy Spirit works in us is that he's not just enabling us to obey, he's also transforming our desires. Paul says, we studied this uh, last spring, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will or or wish and desire, and to work, to do for his good pleasure. In other words, uh, the Holy Spirit is not content to just enable you to obey him. The Holy Spirit is also changing your desires so that as you obey, you will want to obey more and more and more. God is transforming you from the inside out so that you both do the right thing and you do it for the right reasons. You do it because you want to do it. That's how the Holy Spirit is changing you. But notice what Paul tells us about how the Holy Spirit is at work in us. First, he tells us that he works through struggle. Look again at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. Paul tells us that the nature of the successful Christian life is struggle. He uses a present tense verb here. are in opposition. The spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. He's talking about something that's ongoing, that's constant. We have this great hope in the future that one day we'll stand before Jesus and we'll no longer desire sin. The flesh will be gone, but that's not today. In the meantime, life is about struggle. An ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, A lot of believers live with kind of a false hope, a false expectation that trips them up in life. They think that now I'm a believer, now that I'm a son of God, my life should no longer be characterized by struggle. I should grow to the point where I no longer struggle against sin, where I walk in constant, easy victory. But that's not reality. Reality is, is that successful living as a Christian is conflict. It is struggle. The flesh is as powerful as ever in us. It remains as powerful as ever in us. The successful Christian life is a life of constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, victory is possible, the Spirit is God, so He's infinitely more powerful than our flesh. He can overcome our flesh. But don't think that you're going to get to some point in life where you're no longer tempted by sin. That, that's really comforting for me to think about verse 17. Um, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I'm up here. I'm paid to preach to you guys. And so I'm tempted to think, well, I should get to this point where I no longer struggle with sin, where, where I'm so mature that I've risen above that. And Paul's telling me, no. Throughout my entire life, victory will be Struggle. In fact, Paul's telling me the fact that I struggle with sin is actually proof that the Holy Spirit's at work in me. If you're not struggling, then the Spirit's not at work. Struggle is the definition of the victorious Christian life. The Spirit is struggling against the flesh, overcoming the flesh in your life. That's great news. This life is not about ease. It's about struggle as the Spirit fights against the flesh. It's the first thing Paul wants us to understand about how the Spirit gives us victory. Second thing that he tells us is that the Spirit requires our participation. Spirit requires our participation. The Spirit does not come upon you and work unavoidably in your life. His his work in your life is not irresistible. The Spirit chooses to work only in those people who are willing. Paul uses three interesting verbs in our passage. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. 18, led by the Spirit. Verse 25, in the NAS it's it's translated walk by the Spirit, but it's actually a different verb that means keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, Let's just talk about that first one. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Or walk by the Spirit. Uh, To walk, meaning to walk from one place to another. When it's used figuratively like this, it means to conduct your way of life, to, to live in a certain habit or pattern of life. Paul's telling us, the way we should live the pattern of our life should be life by the spirit life enabled by the power of the spirit life that follows the guidance of the spirit now as i say that as i try to define that verb it's awfully hard to wrap our minds around what does it mean to walk by the spirit it's helpful to have an analogy here an illustration i think this would be a very accurate way to look at biblically what's going on here it's like a toddler a one-year-old toddler who is walking with the help of his father a toddler who walks by his father. This toddler is too young to walk on his own yet. He'll just fall over. It's not within his ability, within his power to walk. The only way he can walk is to raise his hand to his father who grasps his hand, raises him up, and leads him across the floor, leads him step by step to walk. That's what Paul is talking about here. It is not possible for us to obey God. We will simply fall on our face if we're trying to obey God in our own strength. So what is the victorious Christian life? We raise our hand to the Spirit. We say, Spirit, take me, lead me, enable me, empower me to walk. That's what the Spirit does to those who are willing, to those who raise a hand to the Spirit, who say, help me. He takes us, raises us up, and leads us, empowers us in obedience. That's what that verb means. But I I was talking to Julie last night. Um... Knowing that that's what it means doesn't really solve the issue for me. I, I struggle to know what, what is the application here? To walk by the Spirit is an awfully spiritual-sounding phrase. How do I actually do it? How do I walk by What does that mean for me today? I've wrestled with this for years. I think it's kind of the biggest question in the Christian life for believers. How do we walk by the Spirit? Paul talks about it in many passages. What does this actually look like for us? Over the years, I've kind of boiled down a lot of different passages, a lot of different verses uh, that talk about this idea into three specifics. It's hard to wrap our mind around walk by the Spirit, but there's three specific things that I can wrap my mind around. How do I walk by the Spirit? How do I experience His power in my life? Three things the Scripture tells us. Number one, if you want to walk by the Spirit, you've got to believe. If you want to walk by the Spirit, it starts with faith you got to believe that the Spirit really lives inside of you. And that's a thing we're taking on faith. I can't see the Spirit in me. I don't really feel the Spirit per se. I've got to take it on faith that the Spirit is within me, that the Spirit loves me, that the Spirit wants to empower obedience within me, that the Spirit can win victory over my sin. This is actually a really big step, to believe that the Spirit's in me giving me victory over sin. I've talked to a lot of Christians who, they've struggled with sin, Year after year they've struggled in the midst of this battle against the flesh and they're ready to to pitch in the towel. They're ready to give up. It just doesn't feel like they can ever win victory over sin. They're ready to give up, they're ready to surrender to the flesh so that they can just live an easy life, so that they can just have relief from the battle. What what we need to do if we want to walk by the Spirit is we can't do that, we can't surrender to the flesh. What I tell people who tell me they want to give up, I, I tell them, you know what, you're only going to experience relief for a little while, you're only going to experience ease for a little while, eventually that sin's going to catch up with you you're going to experience conviction and pain. It's never a good idea to surrender. If you want to walk by the Spirit, if you want to experience God's supernatural power in you, first thing you got to do is you got to keep the faith. You got to keep believing that the Spirit can give you power over sin, that the Spirit is more powerful than your flesh, to keep walking in faith. Don't give up the fight against the flesh. Second thing, our part in walking by the Spirit is we've got to obey we actually have to turn to a different author of Scripture. Turn to the book of 1 John towards the back of your Bibles. John has a lot to say about obedience. In 1 John chapter 1, he helps us to understand better what it means to walk by the Spirit, to walk in the presence and power of God. You start with me in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. Actually, verse 6. Well, no, we'll start in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Uh, John's point here is God is perfect. He is perfection. He is light. If you have sin in your life, then by definition, you are not in the presence of God. If you are giving into sin, then you're not enjoying fellowship with God. It's impossible. God cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot tolerate darkness in his presence. If you choose sin, you are taking your hand out of the hand of the Spirit and walking away. That's what sin does. The point that we need to take away from this, if you want to experience God's power in your life, it requires obedience. Disobedience is the quickest way to quench any supernatural power in your life. If you give in to sin, you're pouring water on the flame and power of God in your life because God can't fellowship with sin. Now, fortunately, John goes on and he gives us a solution. If we have sin, which all of us have, all of us struggle with sin, what should we do when we struggle with sin so that we can again experience the power of God in our life? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fortunately, when we sin, we can be restored to the presence and power of God through confession. Just agree with God that you have sinned, that your sin is serious, that you want to turn from your sin. Fortunately, confession fixes the problem of disobedience. But what we need to realize, if you want to experience God's power in your life, you you can't give in to sin. This is a significant thing to think about. A lot of believers uh, live under the lie that they can manage sin in their lives. That, okay, they they can have this, they, they can't have really outrageous sins, but a little bit of sin is no big deal. It's okay. A little bit of sin really can't be avoided. Th- that's, that's a lie that's devastating in its consequence. If you give in to any sin, if you allow any sin to exist in your life, to dwell in your life, it destroys the power of God in you. It quenches the power of the Spirit because God is light. In Him is no darkness. He cannot share fellowship with sin. And so you got to obey. If you want to experience His power in your life, you've got to obey. Third, you've got to prioritize. If you want to walk with the spirit if you want the spirit to guide you and lead you empower you then you've got to spend time with him it's just kind of a, a fact of life if you want to enjoy the spirit's work in your life you have to spend time with the spirit unfortunately we live very busy lives for many of us we tend to crowd out the power of god the presence of god in our lives we just don't spend enough time with him Now, this is where the spiritual disciplines come into life. It's a lot of things that the Bible tells us that we should do. We should pray, we should read scripture, we should study the Bible, we should memorize it, we should worship, we should fast, we should be silent and still. We should do all these things, not because these things make us holy, because they make us righteous. We should do them because they make us available to the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of the spiritual disciplines. I spend time reading the Bible and praying and worshiping God, not because it makes me a better person, not because it earns points with God, but because it puts me at the disposal, at the availability of the Holy Spirit to invade my life and transform me. If, If you're not carving time out of your life to spend with God, you're not gonna grow. You're not gonna have victory over sin. You've gotta prioritize your time with God through his Spirit if you wanna experience power in your life. So for me, uh, when, when, when somebody asks me, how do I make life work? What is life all about for me? How am I living my life? This is really what it boils down to, those three big ideas. For me, success is walking by the Spirit. And I do that through practicing faith, through practicing obedience, and through prioritizing my time with the Lord by practicing the spiritual disciplines. That's life. It's, it's really my model of, of, of Christian maturity, of the spiritual life. It all boils down to that. And, and I, I want to leave that for you on, on the screen as we pray and close because I, I want you this week to meditate on this list some, to think about where are, are you falling short on this list. I think for a lot of us during the holiday season, it's particularly the last one. We're just not carving out enough time to be with the Lord. We're so distracted. We're so busy. The, the sad news is if you're not carving out time with the Lord, you will fall into sin. There's, there's no way around that you're not spending time with the lord then you're not enjoying the power of the spirit in your life if you're not enjoying the power of the spirit in your life then you will yield to the flesh if you yield to the flesh the result will be sin it's that simple gotta carve time out to be with the lord so this holiday season for you and for your family spend time with the lord that's how we walk in victory over sin let let me close this in prayer and then i have one announcement for you guys after i pray Lord God, we do thank you that you've filled us with your spirit. We thank you that you have given us the greatest gift of all, you living in us through the power of your spirit. Lord, we pray that during this holiday season as we're busy and distracted, Lord, we pray that you would uh, come upon us and draw us close to you and give us victory over sin. We pray that we would spend time with you I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that um, they would just really find time to be in your word and in prayer uh, this Christmas season, and that through that, Lord, that they would experience the power of the Spirit at work in them. I pray that we would be a congregation uh, who display this beautiful, supernatural fruit of the Spirit, that people would see in us love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, not because we make them, because we can't make them, but because the Spirit produces them through us for the benefit of others. I pray that you would be glorified and honored in our lives in every way. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I wanted to close by giving you guys one quick last-minute opportunity to... Practice this thing we call love. To walk by the Spirit as you love others. We have a really interesting opportunity that that came up just in the last few weeks. Uh, Anm Consolidated High School uh, actually has a number of students whose families are incredibly needy, even some who are homeless uh, right now, which is hard to believe. Homeless folks represented at our high school, but they are. Uh, they have given us the privilege of sponsoring, of helping, of blessing two needy families whose students go to Consol. Uh, this Christmas. And so uh, our time is short. Christmas is coming quickly. What we need are some volunteers, either families or individuals or small groups or adult Bible fellowships who will sign up to sponsor one of these two families, get gifts, wrap those gifts, potentially deliver those gifts. Our goal ultimately is to Bless these families so we can build relationships with these families and share the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, with these families. This is part of the Unite ministry. I don't know if you guys know what that is here at the church. We seek to build relationships and bless needy families here in the, in the community. Uh, If this is something that you'd like to participate in, it can be really easy. Just go buy a gift off a list for someone in need this Christmas. Uh, In the foyer, there'll be a table and Chris Pletcher will be at it. Please go talk to him. Uh, A real win for us is if maybe a small group could even sponsor a whole family. Just take care of a whole family's needs. That'd be awesome. Be a great way for us as a community to show love to our neighbors uh, here in Bryan College Station. All right, if you can do that, please go sign up right now. We need to take care of that immediately. Thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week.